Again, I'd like to say good morning to you. It's great to see you today. And I don't know if you noticed, but when we sang as surely as the sunrise, we were singing one of the songs that Carrie Jacobs wrote, and Carrie was playing it. Carrie, it's great to have you here at Church of the Atonement today. Where are you? There you are. as ever, sneaking in, sneaking out. But you leave an enormous footprint here, Carrie, and it's just so great to have you back this Sunday. I'd like to read to you today from Judges chapter 4. As I do, I just sort of put my finger up in the air and say, remember the offertory, remember what you just heard, son. But I'm going to read from Judges chapter 4. It's page 203 in your uh, pew Bible. And we're now coming to the fourth judge. And this is what we read. It's a downward spiral. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after he had died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, Har- uh, let me see about that, Harasheth Hagoyim. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he, that Sisera, the general, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah Ramah, and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, that general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites. This is a totally like, almost sounds like random thought here. Suddenly, this is an injection in the story. Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. And when Sisera was told, now we're going back into the story, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, 
For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera in your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Now why would he ever do that? Why would you get out of your chariot? And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not one man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. And she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer, a mallet in her hand, and then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Indeed. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed the king of Canaan. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, this is a most remarkable story in the Bible. I think you would agree with me. And uh, it is, uh, it, it is uh, encompassed by, by two women. It begins with Deborah, the unexpected judge, because she was a woman. It ends with Jael, another woman who's a ruthless killer. So as we think about this story, let's, for, let's begin with these unforgettable women, these outliers, and then we're going to work our way through the story's characters to the heart of the chapter and a message that I think God has for us this morning. So let's begin with Deborah. Her name means bee. So if you were her nephew, she would be Aunt B. But that's really not part of the story. Deborah is the single only stellar judge in the book of Judges. There was another great judge, Samuel, I mean, a godly man, a godly person. But Deborah is the only stellar judge in the book of Judges. She's introduced to us as a prophetess. So not only a judge, but a prophetess. She's introduced to us as the wife of Lapidoth. So she was a prophetess. She was a wife 
she was a mother. In the song of Deborah and Barak in chapter 5, the victory song, after the victory was won over Sisera, she sings, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So when the tribes of Israel were in disarray, villages were being abandoned before the cruel oppression of the Canaanites, the word of God came to Deborah, and she rose. And people knew God had raised her up. People came to her for counsel. Deborah was strong and fierce when others were weak and timid, and her character her strength, her fierceness was shaped by her faith and her faith was shaped by the words of God. And in those days, that could not be said of many. And I'd say to you today as well, regardless of gender, when someone speaks the word of God, we are all bound to listen to him. We're all bound to listen to her. We're bound because it's the word of God. So Deborah summons Barak to come see her, and he came. She orders him to battle, and he hesitates. She accompanies him into battle, and he wins. But when he hesitated, she had told him that though he would win, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. At that point in the story, you assume, yes, into Deborah's hand, but no. That brings us to jail. She killed Sisera. She was the wife of a man named Heber. He was a Kenite who'd moved far away from his own people. Far away, the text underscores, which means what? He was largely defenseless. He had his household, he had his estate, his land, his flocks, but it was a household or tent hole. That was all it was. Verse 17 says that there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, the Canaanite, and the house of Heber, that there was peace, shalom. What that means is that there was a treaty. It's technical. There was a covenant between them. They had a covenant of peace. They had a treaty of peace between them. But you have to understand that given the surpassing power and military might of Jabin compared with Heber. That treaty was nothing like, I won't attack you if you won't attack me. No, it was more like what was called an ancient suzerainty treaty. It must have been. It would have been more like, it would have been more like from the Canaanite side, I won't destroy you if you give me. Yet when when Jabin's general Sisera comes to Heber's, Heber's wife, she ruthlessly kills him in his sleep. She takes this mallet, she drives a tent peg through his temple, and she keeps pounding until his head has been nailed into the ground. Now, children, are you listening to me? Surely this was a gruesome killing. 
This was a crime of passion. Surely this was a reprisal killing. A terrible act of gory vengeance. There's no doubt that they were not strangers to each other. There's no doubt that they were familiar with one another. When Jael came out of the tent to meet Sisera, she speaks to him intimately, seductively. Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me. Would a woman, a wife, come out to someone and say, turn aside to me, come into my tent, lay in my bed, I will put my cover over you. You want some water? I will bring you milk. And she nails it. What had Sisera, I'm sorry, what had her husband Heber, what had Heber given to Sisera in exchange for peace? Or what had Sisera taken from Heber in exchange for peace? And I suspect it had included Heber's own wife. And Jael loathed him. And she bided her time until she could do her justice on him. That's what I suspect. So you have Deborah and you have Jael. Both are powerful. Both are determined. God used them both for his purposes. But where Deborah, by the grace of God and the word of God, was, was wise. I mean, she was godly. She was strong. Jael, for her own purposes, was calculating and cold-hearted. And yet God used them both, no doubt, because God's sovereignty encompasses every human being. And when you think about the sin of Israel, they return to their sin again and again. Sin is so uninteresting. Sin is so repetitive. Sin is so boring. But God's deliverances, he is so creative with those. They are so unpredictable. He can use anything and everything, anyone and everyone to bring about his sovereign purposes, and he does. And it's remarkable. And then there's Sisera. The tyrannical general, the Canaanite army. Sisera, that's not even a Canaanite name, which suggests that he was a foreign mercenary. He was a hired soldier. He fought and he killed for profit. And what a barrack, a warrior. His name means lightning. And for those of you who may be tempted to think the barrack was, was uh, seeking refuge behind a woman, hiding behind a woman's skirt, so to speak, when he implored Deborah to go with him, I will only say this, that if Barak was standing in front of us today with his sword and his shield and his helmet, I would dare you to say that to his face. And you would not. He was a warrior. He was a military leader who understood strategy. And God's command to Barak sounded like suicide, sounded like an invitation to slaughter. Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera 
the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give you into his hand. Let me show you what this means. I think we're going to get some help now. Can we have a slide? Thank you. Nancy Seibeck, bless your heart. This is Mount Tabor. This is where he was told to go. It's 1,800 feet high. It's quite exposed. I'm not sure, but I suspect the greenery below is near the river Kishon, but I'm not sure which side of the mountain this, is being, this photo was taken from. But you imagine, you imagine the general being told to take 10,000 soldiers and go up on Mount Tabor. What are 10,000 foot soldiers on the dome of this mountain compared with 900 iron chariots in the entire army of Sisera gathered below? And the answer is sitting ducks, waiting to be slaughtered, waiting to be starved out with no route of escape. And when Deborah went on in God's name to tell Barak, now you're going to go meet, you're going to come down that mountain into the chariots by the river? That just sounded crazy. That just sounded crazy. An iron chariot was the tank of its time. So yes, Barak hesitated. And yes, he was rebuked. And why? Because he did not believe the Lord. He did not believe what God had said, though he had said, I will give Sisera into your hand. How often do we stumble in unbelief? How often do we hesitate to put ourselves forward because we're concerned that God won't be faithful to us, that he will not keep his word that our obedience might lead to our shame rather than to his glory. How often do we do that? When Barak told Deborah, if you go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go, it was because he was persuaded that he needed her. He needed her to help rally the men of Israel to follow him. She was God's spokesman after all. She gave him credibility. He needed her counsel to guide him. She was better than a whole counsel of war. He had no idea how God's word could be fulfilled. But the short answer is, God knew how he would fulfill his word. And because Barak couldn't grasp it with his reason, any more than you and I can sometimes grasp how God's going to keep his word with our reason. He hesitated. We do too. We hesitate before the word of God. We hesitate before plain statements of scripture. Instruct us about our lives. We don't know how it will turn out. How can it turn out well? Well, God did it. God made it turn out. He fulfilled his word, wondrously so. Verse 15 says, verse 15 says, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army from before Barak by the edge of the sword. It was the Lord who routed Sisera. That verb is also translated thrown into a panic, thrown into chaos. Matter of fact, this is the term that was used of the Lord destroying 
the chariots of Egypt in the torrent of the Red Sea. That's relevant. Because in a song of Deborah and Barak in chapter 5, beautiful poetry that, that summarizes, and it's a song of victory, this epic battle. In that song of victory, in verses 20 and 21 in chapter 5, this is what we read. It's poetic language, understand. From heaven, the stars, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon, the river, the torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. You see, the Lord sent a storm. And that normally very tame and calm Kishon River overflowed its banks. And it was along the banks of the river that the chariots had come from Sisera's hiding place or holding place, his fortress to the west. And because that area largely consists of clay, when the rain came and the floodwaters covered the plain, that clay became what? What does God rescue us from? Psalm 40. He lifted my feet out of the what kind of clay? Miry. It becomes miry. It becomes boggy. And the chariots bogged down, unable to maneuver. And that's when the army of Israel did swarm down on foot to the river and destroyed Sisera. I want to show you another picture. One more picture today. You can see this picture. This is a picture from World War I. There are a number of battles that were fought in Israel in World War I, including a battle on this plain. And you can see the horses bogged down. Can you see them or the mules, how bogged they are as they're trying to carry the wagon? The British generals in World War I said 15 minutes of rain on the clay would make it unmaneuverable for military force. And that is what happened to Sisera. That is what happened that day at the river Kishon. Now, what are we going to do with this? This is, as I said, it's one of the most remarkable stories in the Bible. It is absolutely a great story. As much as this may surprise you, it is Barak who celebrated for his faith. I mean, certainly... Deborah is enshrined. But it surprises me as you go through the scripture, Barak is celebrated for his faith. In Hebrews 11.32, the hall of the people of faith of the Old Testament, he's listed as an example of faith for us all. He's one of those, the text says, who conquered kingdoms. Now, how is that? Why would that be the case? Didn't the Lord chasten Barak? when he judged God's word insufficient reason to act, when Barak would not act in response to a clear word from God, Deborah prophesied, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. But he did, he did still take the road, did he not? And when Deborah next commanded Barak on Mount Tabor, up, this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? He did not hesitate, did he? 
He led his army into battle. And why? Why did he do that? Why would Barak do that? Well, here's the short answer. Most certainly not for his glory. Because it wouldn't be for his glory, would it? And it wasn't for Deborah's glory. He did it for God's glory. He did it for the Lord's glory. And I'd submit to you this morning that God calls us to act in faith throughout our lives, not for any glory that may come to us, but for Christ's glory. Not so that we might gain some glory for ourselves that we then might pass on to Christ, but because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We trust him to be who he says he is. We trust him to do what he says he will do. We trust that reality is what he says reality is. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so we live by faith in him. What kind of faith? Faith does not seek our glory. It can't be. It could never be. Ever. It's his glory. It is his glory. He calls you and he calls me to live for his glory, though he chastens us, just as he chastened Barak, just as he chastened Moses when he would not allow Moses to enter the promised land. Let me say something very plainly. You know this, but I'll just state the obvious. None of us get everything we want. None of us get everything we deserve. And most of us get thorns to humble ourselves. He calls us to live for his glory when, humanly speaking, the greater honor accrues or goes to another, as in this case, Deborah. And that's fine, as it should be. But the hero of this story, the hero is not Deborah. The hero's God. The hero of this story from the beginning of chapter 14, four, right, sorry, to the end of chapter five is God. You read the lyrics of the song that Deborah and Barak sang together, and you read lyrics like this. Bless the Lord. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. You will sing extolled in song what is called the righteous triumphs of the Lord. And I want to encourage you all, please, brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray this morning that you see that the Lord is the hero in your story also, just as much as he's the hero in the story of Deborah and Barak. That it is God who controls the conditions of your life, that the goodness you know is due to his shaping circumstances far beyond your knowledge, let alone your control. And that his rebuking you when he does is for love's sake. And that your greatest need is for mercy that comes through his sacrifice for you on the cross and his triumph for you over death, over your worst enemy. And it's when we're aware of this that God truly is the hero 
of our lives. That's when we sing songs of faith and triumph. That's when they spring from our heart. And that's when you can be happy. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.